Stories That Matter Studios. I'm Nance Haxton, and this is The Streets of Your Town, The Journo Project. This podcast is all about recognising great Australian journos wherever they may be around the world. With the media in Australia under increasing attack and hard-won freedoms under threat, there's no better time to celebrate and highlight the work of the top journalists from down under. She has the reputation as a journalist who goes where many fear to tread, even to the extent of writing the unauthorised biography of Gina Reinhart, the richest woman in Australia. Adele Ferguson is a multi-award winning business writer for a range of publications. Her work is so respected, she is one of the few journos to regularly work across different networks, from the public broadcaster ABC to leading newspapers such as The Age and Australian Financial review. Her investigations go behind corporate spin to expose wrongdoing, with her series of investigations into the banks helping to bring about a royal commission into the sector. As Adele tells me on this episode of The Journo Project, her main motivation after two decades as a reporter is giving vulnerable people a voice. So thank you very much Adele Ferguson for joining us on Streets of Your Town, The Journo Project. Great to be with you. Your award-winning investigations into financial services and franchising and the, the complexities of retirement living industries as well, they've sparked numerous inquiries, haven't they, as well as winning eight Walkley Awards two quills, but I need to congratulate you this year. You were also made a member of the Order of Australia for your services to journalism. Yes, yeah, that was a real honour and a real surprise. And I saw from uh, your stories that you really paid credit to your whistleblowers as part of that award, didn't you? That you said it was really their award as much as yours. Oh, absolutely. Without them, none of these stories, you know, into the banking system, franchising, wage fraud or retirement villages would ever have come about without brave whistleblowers. So many of your stories, Adele, thinking back over the years, I, I feel like you're the, the voice of the little people. Can we go back and really talk about where that motivation came from? Has this been a strong theme in your life? Yeah, I, it has actually. I, you know, I even remember when I was in high school, I always wanted to make a difference. Now, that was something I wanted to do and that's, you know, I went off and went to uni and did an economics degree and when I was doing that I was thinking, you know, I'm doing economic development, I want to come up with a way to help the poor, very idealistic. Then I went into journalism and because I had economics, you know, the first thing they said was go into business journalism. Which and this was, was all in Adelaide? It was all in Adelaide mm. and it was all about numbers and, you know, <laughs> BHP's gone up, its profit is up. And I just wanted to look behind that. Mm. What, what motivates the profits to go up? And I was reading that you wanted to be a politician to begin with, but you were urged to, to go into journalism or how did, you, how did you change track there? Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, I wanted to make a difference and one of the things was I thought maybe if I go into politics... And I remember a politician saying, go into journalism and that could be a great stepping stone. But I would never want to do politics now. I'm very happy doing what I do. It sounds like so journalism may not have been a calling to begin with, but maybe it's become a calling for you now in a way. Would you describe it that way? Look, I don't know. I, I always love writing, you know, and so... Yeah, maybe it was a calling in a way because I remember when I was at uni, I used to do the public radio volunteer 
So I always had this interest. So to start there. Yeah, you know, I always <laughs> had an interest in journalism, but I thought maybe politics was the way to really get change. But, you know, looking back, I think journalism, you can really get change. Well, and sometimes I think, I think of it as a calling because there is so much sacrifice involved, isn't there, Adele? That, and we've, we've worked on the Walkley Foundation campaign together regarding um, just highlighting some of that. Yeah, it is definitely a calling. It's not a nine-to-five job. Uh, you're always on. So here we are at The Age uh, and Channel 9 and in the Melbourne offices. I must admit, I was not sure where to meet you, Adele. You've worked for so many different organisations. That, I think, is a real mark of the respect of your work too. You've worked at ABC. You, you, you sort of do these cross-investigations. Is that... How, how did that evolve? Because it's really quite unusual, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So that evolved. I was doing um, stories on Commonwealth Bank financial planning scandal. It was forgery, fraud, cover-up. And we were running it in the paper, but it was really just ended up just being in my commentary. And I just felt that it was such a bigger story than what we were doing. So I spoke to my friend Marion Wilkinson, who worked at Four Corners, and I said to her, Marion, why don't you do this? story. I'll give you the whistleblower, I've got victims, but it really needs to, you know, a, a real documentary, TV, it, it needs to be done. And she said, no, why don't you do it? I'd never thought about TV before. She introduced me to Sue Spencer, who was the executive producer at Four Corners at the time. I put in a proposal and the next thing I was doing you know, the first TV, first, you know, documentary, 45 minutes, four corners, banking bad. Uh, and Unbelievable. That, so, and that's from a, a career basically in, in print, in newspapers and online? Always in print and online. How different was it to make that move? It was hugely different. It was, I was so stressed. I remember losing my voice at one stage because it was just, but it was such an opportunity that I didn't want to squander. And... It really had a big impact. It had a huge impact, which is what I hoped it would. Mm, by, by actually taking it further, and you had that sense that by taking it to another medium, perhaps it would get to more people, have more influence? Yeah, it did. You know, the, a million people watched it. And, you know, to actually see people on TV talking about their experiences, it really resonated mm. with Australia. And, you know, not long after, a Senate inquiry called for a royal commission into Commonwealth Bank. Both sides of politics didn't back it, but it was the beginning then of, you know, the seed had been planted for a Royal Commission because the bank had behaved so badly and the regulator couldn't be trusted to do its job. Oh, it's interesting looking back now and thinking how hard it was to get that Royal Commission up. It took months, didn't it, to, it, to it, finally wear them down? It took five years, actually. <laughs> it took from the first Commonwealth Bank story to getting it and, it and there were a lot of scandals in between and a lot of whistleblowers that came from forward and a lot of brave people who were willing to tell their stories. And it's been four years since, would that be right Adele, that you've been reporting on banking and, and what's been going on there and now culminating with nearly the release of your book, Banking Bad. Yeah. Is that the end of your investigations into banking or is it, dare I say it, just the beginning it, after all that time? It is definitely not the end because, <laughs> you know, the Royal Commission, it was great that we had it. It really put the spotlight on the sector, but it was 12 months. It was a very limited budget, limited terms of reference. It just wasn't long enough. So 
attitudes haven't changed enough, so there's still wrongdoing going on. And you, you will try and keep reporting on that even now that your book is done and keep an eye on that, you a- think? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, because there's, you know, more scandals, more people. You'd think they would have learned from a Royal Commission. They're not light, lightweight, these things. No, you would think they, they would have learned, but... You know, greed is a very powerful motivation. I think of some of your other stories too. I, I very much remember the 7-Eleven one and just thinking, wow, good on you, Adele. Like, who, who stands up for 7-Eleven workers? But that investigation really blew that open, didn't it? And how vulnerable some of these people are. Oh, absolutely. That was, uh, it was a consumer advocate who I'd got to meet through banking. Um, his name was Michael Fraser, who called me and said that he was living next door to a 7-Eleven and I should check it out because what had happened was he saw this same worker all the time there and he said to him, you must be making a fortune, you never leave here. And he said to him, I'm working here so many hours because I get paid so little and it's the same at every 7-Eleven. So I ended up pitching it to Four Corners again, and so we did it as a joint venture with the Herald and the Age, and it was really horrific. You know, it was these billionaire family um, that were just making a fortune on the back of a franchise system that was really broken. So all the franchisees were ripping off their workers to make ends meet. And uh, from there, is this how perhaps journalism works too? Does it expose other franchises that have problems? Do other people then see that you're a journalist that they can trust and come to you with these stories? Yeah, that's right. So what happened on the back of 7-Eleven, uh, there were people, franchises and also workers saying, check out Domino's, check out Caltex, check out, you know, Chartime, retail food group. Retail food group. You know, it just went on and on. It was hundreds and hundreds of emails. Did you ever think you'd get to the bottom of it? It's incredible to think that so many could be shonky, basically. Yeah, it is. It's just, mm. it's frightening, actually, what goes on. And then you realise that it's, you know, it, at the end of it, it's business, it's greed, it's, it's poor regulation, the laws aren't working, powerful lobby groups. It's the same pattern every time, no matter where you look. It's it's interesting, isn't it, that even on TV, people still had the courage to come forward, even if they were anonymous. But how crucial is it to have those individual voices, even if they are blanked out or... To, to, to really paint the picture of what's happening in these stories. Oh, it's really important. So with the, the workers, they all stood up. You know, even with the threat of getting deported, they didn't, they, you know, because they were working, they're only allowed to work a certain number of hours a week if they're students on visas. And they said, we don't care. We're willing to stand up and speak on behalf of others. There was a whistleblower who was blanked out because he was actually inside 7-Eleven and wanted it to be known what was going on. And he provided documents which proved they knew about the underpayment and had turned a blind eye. So what happened was they launched a, um, a compensation scheme and paid $150 million in back pay, which was incredible. How, so it sounds like it's almost the, the working together of, uh, of the people, of the case studies and those documents. The documents are also very crucial to back up those stories. They are, because if you have the documents, they've got nowhere to go. They can't then, because the argument that companies have always used is it's a few bad apples. They're isolated cases, move on. If you have the documents to say, hey, 
you know what's going on. You've actually, in the case of 7-Eleven, they had audited all the stores and found out that a big slab of them were underpaying. And you have those documents. You can't deny that. that you can't it's deny been audited. It. You can't deny it. And so they're, they're on the hook. So it sounds like that economics grounding, though, has perhaps definitely helped you in being able to look... I can't imagine poring over these documents, Adela. Does, is that just an incredibly time-consuming part of your work? Yeah, it is. It absolutely is because you've got, you've got to get it right because, you know, these companies are very powerful and if you get something wrong, they will be... They pounce. They will pounce, yeah. So you, you have to make sure, you know, even with people coming forward, you have to really make sure that their stories are rock solid. Have you been pleased to see some of the reforms that have come from as a result of your stories? Yeah, I have, but, you know, it's not enough never enough. You know, in the case of um, franchising, t there was a Senate inquiry uh, into the sector, which the, uh, the politicians were horrified at what came out in testimony. Um, and they put out a report, and there is now a task force looking at how to actually fix this broken system. You know, it's a $170 billion industry. We, we in Australia have got the biggest per capita franchises. You know, so it's, it's huge. It's, you know, tens of thousands of small businesses and then, you know, thousands and thousands of workers. So, yeah, we've still got a long way to go. And, of course, you're reporting on the retirement industry too. Look where, where that's ended up now. Yeah, well, you know, that was another one. Again, mm. it's, it's, it's greed. It's profit before people. You know, so that you've got this company, Aveo, which was one of the biggest retirement villages operators, and they had in their presentations um, churn. And I thought, what, what is churn? And then, you know, you dig a bit deeper and you find out that it's the market, the share market increases the share price if their churn goes up. Because what it means is every time someone dies or leaves the retirement village, they get a payout. You know, and so the things that would happen in order to increase the churn. You know, in one case, there was a woman called um, Gwyneth who was put into a psychiatric ward because what happens is if you leave, your place gets sold and they get an exit fee of up to 40% of what you get for your property. And that's where they make the money. And so some of the untoward things that went on were just shocking. And do you think that we've got to the bottom of that yet? Well, absolutely not. No, no, we've got a real long way to go on that. Um, it just keeps coming out, more and more stories. It yeah. seems that stories lead to more yeah. people coming forward. It does, yeah, because yeah. they realise that, you know, you, you've got to speak up. You know, those who choose to speak up, it's, it's a very difficult thing to do, but, you know, that it really has an impact. How do you encourage people to trust you, Adele? It's such a crucial part of your work. And, and when, as you said, so much is at risk. Yeah. How do you... And you've got nothing to offer them other than... Well, what do you say? The, the, the good to society? I mean, what is the yeah, incentive? It, it's, it's the good to society. It's also they feel empowered, you know. I think that's really important, that it, it gives them some form of control back on their life, that they're, they're doing something about it. You know, and it's not for everybody, and you have to pick the people that you think... Um, will follow through and do it because some people it, it just isn't for them you can't push them to do it mm. you know it would be wrong to do that and they can't cope I suppose with yeah. that pressure really yeah that's right because it is but you know in the case of uh, Gwyneth 
she got people ringing her saying she should get an Australian of the Year. Um, friends from school from, you know, 50, 60 years ago contacted her. Her life has changed because of that story. That's, it is wonderful to hear that, and that's really the reason for the Journo project is to highlight the good work of journalists such as yourself, Adele, and that, sure, there are, you know, bad operators even in journalism, but look at the good work that can come from giving people a voice, essentially. Oh, yeah, absolutely, because, you know, even with... I remember with 7-Eleven... It was a lot of uh, Indians and Pakistanis, and they were. They, I remember afterwards, I brought tears to my eyes because they were saying, "We didn't think Australia cared." And you do because you know people started you know wanting to boycott Seven Elevens. There were petitions. There were all sorts of things, and they were just so shocked that we actually do care. We just didn't know. And you've spoken out a lot about better protections for whistleblowers. What, what do you think is needed to ensure that these stories can still be broken and be hurt? Well, it's a huge issue at the mm. moment. You know, one of the whistleblowers that I've been working with, last year I did a, another Four Corners with uh, The Age and The Herald and it was called Mongrel Bunch of Bastards and it was on the Australian Taxation Office. Mm, I remember And it. there was a whistleblower called Richard Boyle and just before we interviewed him, he knew what he was getting into. He'd already been, you know, suspended and warned. And they said, if you proceed, you know, you're going to be in serious trouble. They then raided his home and he got slapped with 66 charges, which could see him facing 161 years in jail, which is just, you know, it's just beggar's belief. And that's an, that's an example of weak whistleblowers because Richard saw wrongdoing at the ATO. He did the right thing. He lodged a, um, a PID, which is what you do if you're in the public service. Mm -hmm. And that means that's a document where you're lodging and you're becoming an official whistleblower. The ATO looked at it and decided, we don't agree with you. So that's why he then goes to the media. So he did the right thing. He then goes to the media and look what happens. But there's been change at the ATO because of it. what he did was in the national interest and yet he's facing all these years. Or, you know, you've got in, in corporations, there's a different set of laws. You had Dr Ben Coe, who was a whistleblower with Cominshaw and he um, exposed wrongdoing at Combank and... Um, he lodged an official internal whistleblower policy to protect him, but then they found something else to terminate him. You know, so it shows that you're just not protected. You know, the laws do not protect whistleblowers. It's just shocking. In America, they have a whistleblower day, um, they get rewards. And celebrated. Yeah, mm. they're protected here. They're seen as snitches and troublemakers and they're punished. Is that an Australian cultural thing or is it something that can be reformed, do you think? I think it can be reformed. You know, if you reform it, if, if the politicians lead from the front and the media keeps backing them, then it will change. I've read that you even suggested perhaps we could have a payment scheme to reward whistleblowers. Well, absolutely. That's what happens in America. They get... Um, they get they get compensation, but they also get a reward. So they get a reward of the proceeds. Mm -hmm. So, for example, the 7-Eleven whistleblower, he was in America. They've had to pay back $150 million. He would have got a percentage of that, 20%. You know, and that's what happens in America. And when you think of what they've given up, it's fair enough, really, yeah. because... 
quite often it's the end of a career or... It is definitely, you know, Jeff Morris was another whistleblower with Combank. He ended up with um, PTSD, marriage breakdown. Uh, he hasn't worked. You know, and this has gone on for years. Who will employ a whistleblower because they'll think, you know, if, we, if we've got something, they're going to sniff it out and we'll be on the front pages. We need a whistleblower's day, I think, Adele. We need to get a band on board and come up with a good song or something. That might be a good start. Yeah, we do. they do so much for this country. Mm. Well, these stories really can't be unearthed without them. I know, even remembering in my time, it didn't matter how many studies you had, if you didn't have a voice to put it to, that story went nowhere. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, so for them to come forward to provide documentation and, you know, sacrifice so much is, yeah, they, sh they should be applauded. They're heroes. How do you juggle all of the stories that you, you've done, Adele? I'm interested in your process for all the uh, budding journalists out there. What, what, how do you organise all this and keep contacts and all, all of... Is it, a, is it a juggling act? How do you do that? It is absolutely a juggling act. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, I, I get a, spend a good part of my day just looking at emails and phone calls. There's lots of them. And not feeling bad about that. That, that yeah. organisational aspect yeah. is important. Yeah, because you, you never know, you know where the next big expose is. You might not be able to talk to everybody, but you know I'll certainly look through and and try and get it, see if there's a pattern, and and then just put them into um, files, you know, on on the email. So I'll have a franchise file, and then you know if there's a number of companies that keep popping up, I'll get a separate file for that and just keep on adding to it. So it's still like a physical thing? Rather, it's rather on email. It's, yeah. it's an email but, file. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, and you can, you can see that pattern emerging that way. Yes, yeah. Mm. What about with contacts? Do you make the effort to go and see them or is that yeah. a time-consuming part of your work No, as well? I try and see people as much, you know, it, you might call it old-fashioned, but I think, you know, seeing somebody and making the effort to see someone... Um, is worth its weight in gold. They trust you that much more, do you think? Yeah, they do. I, I think you need to see somebody and, and, and see their eyes and see their face to really get a bit of a feel for, for what's motivating them and who they are. And, and the same, you know, that goes for them assessing me. Sounds like a lot of it goes back to even your days uh, at the Tizer as the junior reporter. Do you still think of some of the, the things that you learnt there and apply that now? Yeah, well, it was it was a great training ground back then. You know, you had a, a six-week course. I came in as a graduate um, from, you know, economics, so I didn't have journalism training, but they had six-week courses Six back then. Weeks. Which was, you know, very indulgent in the scheme of things. But, yeah, it was great, you know, so you got to, you know, taught about interviewing, taught about, you know, the, the inverted pyramid, you know, all of that stuff. And then they had mentors. It was, it was a really great place to work. And now going into TV, do you still see yourself as a, a print journo first or a multimedia? I mean, is this the way journalism is going, that we need to be able to work across media? I think we need to be able to work across media because I think they all play a role. You know, print is great because you can go a bit more granular into the detail. Mm -hmm. TV is so powerful because you get the human element that you just can't quite get from, from print. And online reaches so many people. So, yeah, multi-platform always and podcasts and radio, it's all just so important. So have you uh, delved into the radio realm yet? 
No, I haven't. It might be, might be to come. We'll yeah. see. Yeah, no, because it's so powerful, you know, because it's very personal, just like podcasts, isn't it? You know, you're listening to it. And you can. It almost feels like you're at the dinner table conversation, yeah. I like to think. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> and it is. It's a really powerful medium. And I wanted to ask you a little bit too about your Gina Reinhardt investigation, yeah. uh, as well as your other financial ones. Yeah. How, how did that evolve and end up becoming, of course, that, that big book? Yeah, oh, so how that evolved was, who was Gina Reinhardt? We didn't know. She suddenly burst onto the scene and bought 10% in Channel 10. And then she bought 3% in Fairfax. So my um, boss at the time, Kirsty Simpson, said, why don't we do a profile on her? Do a profile on Gina Reinhardt and see what makes her tick. So that was the beginning. So I, everyone I rang up was saying, oh, I can't comment. No, she's so litigious. No, no, they were too scared to say anything, even off the record, which made me think, this is amazing. I then emailed her and she came back with uh, answering her own questions, which I found really bizarre. <laughs> Wrote the story and got contacted by a um, literary agent to say, would you be interested in writing a book? And I thought, you know what? It was my first book. And I thought, I really was, because who is this woman? She wants to play a very big role in politics. She has, you know, she was the, uh, she's the, the daughter of Lang Hancock, worth a fortune. The country should know who this person is and what, the, what they're going to do because she had played such a huge role in axing the tax, you know, you know, the mining tax. Yes, that's right. And, that's and funding that campaign. That's right. Mm. And, that's, and, you know, that eventually brought down a prime minister, you know, so... This, we needed to know who she was. So that's why I decided to do the book on her. Were there moments that you were, with all these people who were afraid to go on the record, were there moments you thought, oh, I might just leave it at that feature there? It was really tough. It, it was so tough. It is really tough when you're doing an unauthorised biography because even just little things are so hard to find out. If, you, if you've got access to someone, you can say, oh, so when did you get married? Uh, what are your kids' names? Uh, things... <laughs> When it's unauthorised it is, and, and they're private, no one will talk, it was really, really challenging. And the ramifications went for quite some time too, obviously, they as well. Sure not, not, not immediately, no. but uh, a bit further down the track. So, yeah, so mm. it, was, it was interesting because, you know, I did a lot of research on it, you know, um, you know sort of company records, uh, looking at America because she had married an mm. American and then discovered that he had been, you know, charged with uh, tax fraud. All of that stuff was quite interesting. Mm -hmm. And then the book comes out, no defamation, which was great, but then there's a knock at the door and it was a subpoena. And uh, I wasn't there at the time. Was this at home? This was at home. Oh, My husband rang me up to say, I was in Sydney having dinner with Marion Wilkinson, Kate McClymont, etc. And he my husband rang up and said, there's been uh, someone who's trying to serve you. And I thought, well, who the heck would that be? And it's personal. It's nothing to do with work. I'm thinking, what the heck? The next day I ring up work and they tried to find out and they were told nothing. And then as it turned out, the, the guy came back and it was, uh, it was Reinhardt, wanted me to hand over all my contacts. Oh, it was just every email, every phone record, every, every everything. 
going back a number of years. And so we had to fight that. And going personally as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was it was not it wasn't the company, it was me personally. <laughs> yeah. Has that all finished now, Adele? It has, yeah. But it did, it took a long time. And, and it, it was very stressful. It takes a personal toll, these things don't they this yeah is they part do. of the cost we were talking yeah about. it is because you know with defamation is bad enough because you've got to fight it but this was if I was to be found in contempt of court then you go to prison or you hand over your contacts you can't hand over your contacts so it was it was very real because the subpoena was issued from Perth for a court case in Sydney and I was living in Melbourne and the shield laws at the, for journalism, there was a lot of shopping going around of which has got the weak, weakest place. And at the time, Perth was pretty weak. You know, they just introduced them. My case was prior to that, so would they go retrospective? So, yeah, it was really, really stressful. And really to the heart of, of what we do as journalists, make, yeah. trying to get your hand over your sources. That must have been... That's right. Very and, <laughs> and what complicated it was the week before the book had come out, her, her shares had gone from 3% shareholding to 18% just the week before the book and she had wanted three board seats and the ability to hire and fire journalists. So, yeah, it was pretty, you know, they were looking at what extracts they were going to put in the book and thinking maybe we'll use these extracts instead of those extracts. So, yeah. It's almost like you became the whistleblower, the ones that you were looking after, I think, Adele. Would that be a fair comparison? It, well, Did... it, was, it was pretty stressful at the time. I, mm. I felt like I was walking around with a bit of a time get on my back and and to to really get a glimpse of well, more than a glimpse to, to to really see what it's like to have your life on the line yeah. for these issues yeah that's exactly right and I felt guilty too that here was this you know person who wanted three board seats and didn't seem to be a friend of journalism and independent thinking that you know what what have I done and of course we've had the media raid since then you were speaking of the ATO investigation what do you think there? Is it is it getting worse? What's the what's what's happening here it, in Australia? Yeah, it's chilling. You know, two weeks after the federal election, you have you know in consecutive days, two different media organisations getting raided. Yeah, it's frightening because it just has a chilling effect on whistleblowers speaking up. You know, and the impact on the journalists and the organisation. It's just horrendous. How do you think we um, fight back from that to, to highlight what media freedom means for this country and, and for, for higher ideals, for democracy? For I, th I think what we're doing, we, ha we have to campaign. Uh, I think having the three CEOs on the panel at the, uh, the National Press Club a few weeks ago backing independent journalism and whistleblowers and press freedom was a really good start because when... Different media organisations unite. Politicians get very worried. And when you think of even the Walkley Awards started from a businessman, maybe we do need to, to re-engage with the business sector as, as you have as a, as a business investigation reporter, but also to get those ones that will champion what we do. Yeah, that's exactly right. I really think that's what we have to do, really just keep vocal out there. And doing things like this, showing that we're not all rat bags. <laughs> You know, we do good things. There does seem to be an attitude in Australia about that, doesn't there? That, that does, yeah, that we're not trusted and mm. it's, it's not the case. Yeah. You know, most people go into journalism for very noble reasons. 
it's just fascinating looking back on what you've achieved, Adele, to see that you've you've been trying to get information from the boards rather than the party rooms and cabinets. Trying to get that information from behind those closed doors that often are not accessible. Yeah, I think so. It's it's just to show what goes on in business that. It's not all about profit and it's not all about having a high share price. Sometimes it comes at a cost. You know, banks make billions of dollars. Do they have to be so greedy? It's so true. Uh, maybe to, to finish, can I ask, did you have any journos, mentors as you started or when you were growing up that you looked to who gave you some inspiration for what you do now? I always thought Kerry O'Brien was the most amazing journalist I would watch him on TV and think he was just brilliant. Fearless. Fearless. In much the same way as you, Adele, I would say. So I think that has transferred very well. So <laughs> thank you so much. It's great to see Kerry actually at the helm, really, of the Walkley Foundation now. Yeah. Great, great leadership. He really is an amazing person. And he's taking the fight up for, for the ideals that we're speaking about today as well. Yes. What was the best bit of journalistic advice do you think that you've ever had? Don't give up. Don't fall for spin always try and cut through. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining the Journo Project, Adele. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. That was Adele Ferguson, author and senior business journo with The Age, Sydney Morning Herald, Australian Financial Review and guest reporter with ABC's Four Corners and 7.30. Streets of Your Town is produced by Nance Haxton, aka The Wandering Journo, with production assistance from Michael Adams. That's it for this episode. I'm Nance Haxton. Stay up to date with the latest episode of Streets of Your Town by subscribing on your podcast app on iTunes or SoundCloud. See you next time.